The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room, formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys. Spotify Green Room is a live, audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And, of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> What's up, guys? Here we go. Headed into the home stretch. We're all done. Same place opponents, done. NFC West, done. AFC North, done. And now it is time for the final stretch of these shows, the last four episodes of the opponent preview series our brethren from the NFC North and up first, Jeremy Reisman from SB Nation's Pride of Detroit to preview, of course, the Detroit Lions. And uh, a lot of interesting things to talk about uh, with the Lions. Brand new general manager, brand new head coach, guy who's grabbing headlines with all the kooky things that he keeps saying. Jeremy and I have a moment about that. And, you know, he thinks that that my perception of Campbell is basically the same as, as most people nationwide think, because obviously they're, they're obviously a lot closer to the team and they see, you know, a much more measured Dan Campbell, or at least it evens out, I guess maybe you could say. Uh, and, and we just hear with, with national media um, access and things like that, not, not as much local uh, that the Lions do, uh, you know, all we're getting is is biting kneecaps and carry your own toilet paper and uh, things like that. All these outlandish sayings, the the sign outside of his office that says the dude and and all that kind of stuff. And and as crazy as it all seems. I have a different take, one that Jeremy was actually thrilled to hear that I did uh, have. So uh, make sure you tune in for uh, uh, for that. But <clears throat> not only do they have the new GM, the new coach, they got a new quarterback. They trade Matt Stafford away uh, to the Lions and uh, come away with Jared, or excuse me, to the Rams and come away with Jared Goff and two first round picks and, and one in 2022, the other in 2023. 
And uh, Brad Holmes, the the brand new general manager for the Lions, came from the Rams. So of course he knows, uh, you know, uh, Jared Goff, and uh, we'll, we'll see what it's like uh, playing him twice a year as opposed to uh, uh, Matt Stafford, who we'll see Week One uh, when we play the Rams. So we haven't escaped Matt Stafford just yet. Uh, we got him Week One on Sunday Night Football, but uh, you know now in, instead of um, you know Matt Stafford uh, doing things uh, in the silver and blue. It will be uh, Jared Goff, uh, along with a basically an overhaul of uh, of players and and picks. And uh, we talk about the Penny Sewell pick. Uh, what would that pick have been if the Bengals were smart about it and and taken Sewell at number five? Would uh, would it have been Jamar Chase or, or Jalen Waddle or something like that, a wide receiver, uh, anything like that? Maybe maybe they trade down and and go for Rashawn Slater uh, later on in the in the first round, things like that. So. Um, but Jeremy's one of my OGs. I've had him on the show since the beginning, since 2015, when I started having guests uh, on the show. So I'll always enjoy uh, having him back. And, um, you know, just uh, I, just the, the, the guys that we're going to be talking to. Uh, Jeremy today, Chris on Thursday for the Vikings, Evan next Monday for the, for the Packers. Despite their allegiances, they're three of my favorite people and three of my favorite guests uh, to have on the show year in and year out. Um, you know, we have this kind of mutual respect, um, mostly made out of the love that we have for our own uh, teams, you know, the battles that our teams have been in over the years and, and things like that. So I always love having those guys uh, come back uh, on the show. So, um, so yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Jeremy Reisman from SB Nation's Pride of Detroit as we kick off the NFC North opponent preview episodes of the Bears Talk Underground. It's number one, so let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. Ringing out loud So here we are. We're headed into the home stretch in, the, in our own division finally. After we did our same place opponents, we did the AFC North and the NFC West. And now here we are in our own division once again, the NFC North. And starting things off, as always, our good friend from Pride of Detroit and SB Nation, Jeremy Reisman. Jeremy, welcome back, man. Oh, Larry, it's been too long, man. Good to hear you. It voice. really has. We've survived the uh, pandemic, even though it's still hanging on by a thread, uh, but it's basically over with. Everybody's going to have fans in the stands and, you know, Wrigley Field uh, for me as I'm a Cubs fan because who cares about the White Sox, uh, you know, full capacity out there and and everything. So looking like we're going to have fans in the stands and, uh, you know, I'm glad we survived and glad to have you back, man. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's exciting. And, and now we're, we're really close to football actually being back. And then, like you said, there's going to be fans and fans. It's, it's all starting to feel real again. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm excited, too, man. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this uh, to this season. That really was not the case, to be honest with you, until draft night. Um, yeah. because you know, with the whole thing, we, we kept nagging and, and Ryan Pace, uh, we, we, we had no salary cap money to, to play with. So we couldn't go out there and get anybody that could help us or that you felt like, oh yeah, that guy's going to be a difference maker for us. And then of course, just the embarrassing saga of quarterbacks that we were attached to throughout the off season, including your guy that we're going to talk about here in a minute, Matt Stafford, apparently the bears made an offer or there was a rumor that the bears may have offered something 
uh, for him, but no way Detroit, you know, no way no. Detroit's going to let Matt Stafford go so he can kick their ass twice a year. That's not happening. So, <laughs> but it's just, you know, and all of that, and then the, the boiling hot rumor about Russell Wilson, which went away, and then the answer to Russell Wilson was Andy Dalton. It's like, and Andy Dalton's fine. He's a good quarterback, or he has been, and he wouldn't be in the league for 10 years if he sucked. And, you know, he's won some games with Cincinnati. He's been to the playoffs. He's been to some Pro Bowls. So, yeah, okay, we can be all right with Andy Dalton. Definitely an upgrade from Trubisky and Foles, uh, that's for sure. But uh, after, you know, they had us thinking, Russell Wilson's coming, dude. This is a done deal. It's happening. He wants to come to Chicago, and then we get Andy Dalton's like, ugh. Okay. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. I will say it was fun watching that entire saga play out. Oh, I bet it was. I bet you loved that, (laughs) especially since your quarterback situation took care of itself rather quickly uh, in the offseason. Of course, we're talking about the the trade with the Rams where, uh, you know, you guys traded away Matt Stafford. So that one had to hurt, Uh, especially a very bittersweet thing, you know, letting him go after all those years. Uh, you know, a couple of playoff appearances, no championships, never really put together, a, you know, the best roster for him. I mean, you've been coming on the show for quite some time. We've talked about those offenses in 2011 and 2014, which were lights out that, you know, they're putting like 40 points a game on the board, but also because they had to, because you also had one of the worst defenses that was allowing 40 points uh, a game. You had no run game to go along with it and all that kind of stuff. And off he go. I mean, it basically it was time to try to try someone else and, you know, kind of move on or let him go to try to win a championship somewhere. But that one had to sting a little bit. Yeah, no, no question. I've, I've been a Matthew Stafford fan since the Lions drafted him. And, um, you know, it, it's weird because this is a franchise that has been quarterback list for, for decades and right. decades and decades. And he was finally one that. Seemed like he was the answer, and and I'm not saying he he couldn't have been, but obviously you're right. Like that they didn't win a playoff game with him, and he wanted to go somewhere else to try, and he didn't want to go through another rebuild, and so it did feel like you know looking back on it, even at the time, I think we could all kind of see what was happening and why it was happening. It was the best for both sides, I think, to to part ways there, and 
Matthew Stafford did the Lions a favor by, you know, asking for the release, asking for the trade and doing it in, in a way that wasn't, you know, contentious in any sort of way. And, you know, kudos to, to Brad Holmes, the Lions' new GM, who on, you know, one of the first days on the job, he has to trade away the team's franchise quarterback. Yeah. And we, we, we've seen how, you know, messy that can get. We, we see it in the division right now. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we've seen it. I mean, we've seen it with a lot of players. There, there are a lot of players right now demanding for trades, and it's not going particularly well. Brad Holmes handled that just about as well as you could possibly imagine for a first-time GM days on the job. And not only does he get a quarterback in return that can help right now, gets two first-round picks and a third-round pick in return. And yeah. this is a guy, I remember when Matthew, it only took a week from Matt, Matthew Stafford wants to be traded news for him to eventually get traded. It was a week. And I remember that time, so many people from all over the country are, are you know, tweeting at me saying, like, there's no way the Lions even get a first round for him. Well, the Lions got two first rounders, a starting quarterback, and a third round pick. Yeah. And they had plenty of other offers on the table that included a first round pick as well. So um, I, I, I have to commend Brad Holmes for the job he did there. And and really Matthew Stafford for for doing the Lions what I think is is on, honestly a favor because you're right. It was it was time for that to happen. He kind of accelerated the process of, of a rebuild. And now the Lions are, are on their way to a rebuild. It, it, it might hurt a lot in in the uh, in the interim for the next year or two. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not huge into thinking that Jared Goff is going to step in and suddenly, you know, be the, the Super Bowl quarterback that he was a few years ago, especially given where the lines are across the rest of the roster. Um, but with the draft picks in hand um, with with, you know, the, the future now starting today instead of being carried over from from the previous regime um i think i think lines fright future can be brighter i don't i'm not saying it will be brighter because i'm a lions fan and there's inherent doubt in every single move they <laughs> make until the end of time but right. um I, I do think uh they're they're in a good spot to start rebuilding and that's uh that's important yeah i mean the the trade for uh stafford um you know like well he's he's gone and uh you know that sucks and He's off to the Rams, so pretty happy for him uh, to, to be heading off to the Rams because I was, uh, you know, of course, we play the Rams this year, so I've already spoken to uh, the Rams guy when we did our NFC West uh, previews, and I, and I commented to him, it's like he's probably, like right now, probably on the most complete roster he's ever been on yeah. in his career because yeah. he never lacked for weapons in Detroit uh, he always had somebody, whether it was Galladay or Megatron or, you know, or anybody like that. He never had a solid running game. I think, I think he said, he mentioned to me, and you, maybe you can back this up. Like you could probably count on one hand the amount of, or like it was like one rushing, one hundred yard rushing game, like per season is how it like averaged out in his, you know, 10, 11 years that he was in, uh, Detroit and, the Rams were one of the best rushing teams in the league last year. They had the number one defense in the NFL, quite possibly one of the greatest players of all time on their yeah. defensive line uh, right now. It's like he's been put onto a roster, that, and he basically is everything that Jared Goff isn't. So the Rams might be the favorite in the NFC right now just by that trade. And those first two-round picks, th those two first-round picks, he gave is probably going to seem like a small price to pay if the Rams are hoisting the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the year this year. 
Yeah, no question. And, and I think that's why a lot of people looked at that trade and said, well, you know what? This is kind of one of those rare win-win trades. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The Rams make the drastic move that they need to. And we've seen the Rams do this sort of stuff for the past five, six, seven, eight years where they're just like, we think we're close. Let's spend a lot of draft capital on proven commodities. And and then there's certainly some arguments to whether Matthew Stafford is a proven commodity or not. But like you said, he, he's certainly... Uh, a, a step above Jared Goff when it comes to just physical skills alone. And I yeah. would argue pretty much everything else as well. Um, so yeah, th- this is the sort of drastic move that, um, you know, time will tell. I think, I think the, the risk is obviously all on the Rams side here. So if, if things don't turn out well this year, or next year, um, people are going to look back on it like a really, really bad trade uh, on their part. I just can't imagine a scenario in which the lions really look bad in this um, trade, you know, even even if you know Matthew Stafford goes on to win a Super Bowl or two with uh, Los Angeles, I don't think anyone's going to look back and be like, "Those could have been the Lions' Super Bowls." Like, no, they're they're nowhere near the team <laughs> the Rams are right now. So, um, low risk on the on the line side, high risk on the Rams side, for but sure. Also, yeah. perfectly logical move on on Los Angeles side. So, I, I would call it a win win. Yeah, and and what the what I was going to say about the trade is that the the compensation terrified me because I'm a fan of a team that was in the market for a quarterback and the people calling the shots are in a do or die situation for 2021. So what will these desperate bastards be willing to give up if LA gave up their starting quarterback, a former number one pick and two first rounders and a third to get Matt Stafford, what are we going to give up to get Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or Carson Wentz or anybody else that we're interested in? Or more importantly, what is the rest of the league going to gouge us for because they know we need it? Right. So, I mean, that's why I was like two first rounders and a third and golf for Matt Stafford. You didn't swap yeah. picks or anything. It was just Stafford on your end, right? Uh, I believe so. It's, it's been so, there's so much has happened this offseason. Yeah. There might have been a, a fifth or a sixth returned, but Maybe. I, I don't. I, I, can't remember. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was just Matt Stafford that you guys gave up. And I just sat there and I looked at us like, oh, Jesus Christ. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> the Rams just set the market on how much you got to get for a quarterback. And, you know, for people that are, that are you know, at in the top, like, elite tier, like a Russell Wilson or how they project Deshaun Watson to be, Forget it. We're going to have to give up three threes and two twos and, you know, half our defensive team to get Deshaun Watson from from Houston. I was like, I'm not looking for. I mean, I basically sat around. I had a, I was sick to my stomach all offseason just because I was anytime one of those alerts came up on Bleacher Report. Oh, God, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? <laughs> OK, no, no. OK, great. It's not. I mean, that's that was me the entire offseason. And then, of course, we yeah. get to draft night. And uh, that's a different story. We'll get to that in a minute. But um, before we move on to uh, free agency, uh, you mentioned the new general manager, Brad Holmes. Is he from? Where's he from? Is he Philly or? Uh, no, he, he was with the Rams. He Ram. Was the he Rams, was with the Rams. Uh, okay, so yeah. All right. He knows Jared Goff. That's that was obviously a, a big part of the trade. I think. Sure. Sure. And then. Um, I don't know where the hell you found this guy, but this knuckle dragger of a head coach you got, uh, Dan Campbell, comes out. It's talking about you know biting knees or something like that. And then last week he was going on and on about toilet paper and whatnot. What is this? What is this dude's deal, man? How is he your head coach? I, I mean, it, let, let me start by saying the local perception of Dan Campbell is totally different than the national. Okay, I think a lot of people nationally just like. 
like I mean, knuckle dragger. Like what a what a weird this is like guy. Who well, I mean, not- he's he's like a former tight end, so he's enormous, a, a, a big guy right. to begin with. So of course he's towering over everyone, you know. And he's just what was it that he wrote on his uh, on his and his name tag outside the door? The dude, the, the dude. dude. From, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, okay. So we got the bro coach out there in Detroit now. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. He that that introductory press conference where everyone who wasn't in Detroit only heard we're going to bite kneecaps and and you know beat the other team's ass or you know whatever. Like they only hear that thirty second clip. Sure. Everything else he said was like directed towards Detroit fans and they all ate it up. You know, he, he's a guy who played for Detroit. He was on the Detroit Lions roster. He knows the city. He knows he's not going to win football games in January press conferences. Yeah. And, um, he's, he's just, he's a guy who's so unapologetically himself that it's actually easy to really, really like him. He's a goofball. He is a weirdo. He's going to say weird things. He's going to go to a press conference with a racing helmet on his head because he thinks it's funny. He thinks it's interesting. He wants to drum up excitement for a local race. And after spending three years with Matt Patricia, who wouldn't answer, you know, like what your what's your favorite movie? He'd be like, you know what? I'm focused on Miami or, you know, some give us some sort of lame comment where like we, you know, He's so we get it, dude. So, you know Bill Belichick. Congratulations. Right. Can you just answer the question now? He 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 was a guy who, at least from the outside, appeared to be so concerned with his own image, so concerned about hiding every single fact uh, that that was or wasn't about football. Like he didn't want to reveal anything, even if it was something non-football related. That it, I mean, it was just a chore to talk to the guy sometimes. Yeah. Whereas Dan Campbell is just the exact opposite. And listen, like. I, I know from the outside in our cynical world that a lot of this stuff seems lame. It seems childish maybe at times. It seems like it might not resonate with, with some young players. I I think you guys are wrong about that. I think Well, that's players- not my opinion of the guy. I mean, like from what I've seen, yeah. I mean, granted, I'm I'm like I said, I'm I'm more on the national side. All I'm hearing are these you know, these these bites, these clips that are right. that are coming through, but I'm also you know, just in direct contrast with Matt Patricia, this guy's got some life to him. Yes. You know, he's got some life to him. He's bringing a pulse uh, to the team. That's the impression that I get despite his zany comments and the things that have gone national and things right. that have, you know, come across my desk, if you will. I get the feeling that he's got some life to him. This guy's got some character. He's going to try to make football fun for his players, you know, like we might be winning football games. You're going to love playing for the Detroit Lions. That's the vibe I get this guy's trying to put out. Whereas Matt Patricia's like, welcome to New England West. You're going to bust your ass and you're going to appreciate playing for me no matter what. Yes, you just nailed it completely. You said it better than I could say it. that that is. And, and I think maybe one fair criticism of the hire is the, that maybe the lines are overcorrecting. In a yeah, way like that, maybe, like they're yeah. going in the complete sure, opposite sure. direction, and Dan Campbell is on the like most opposite <laughs> end of the spectrum you can get. There is no one that can be more Dan Campbell than Dan Campbell. He's right. uh, an extreme example of of goofball. Um, we're gonna have fun here, and 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 you know he's I mean he's also talking about some of the same stuff that Matt Patricia is talking about, and you know playing physical and and things like that. But I mean those are all kind of cliches, anyways. But I I, I just think. I think he he might really, you know, he's a former player himself, and the Lions mm-hmm. coaching staff 
is full of a bunch of former players. So I think relating to the players is not going to be a problem for Dan Campbell or anyone on this coaching staff. So I think that narrative kind of born out of like little clips of his press conferences that he's, he's just going to be lame and people aren't going to respect him. I think that's completely, uh, completely misguided and not, not what we're seeing so far from, from a lot of players who uh, are, are breathing a sigh of relief just for the fact that, that uh, Matt Patricia is out the door. So um, it, it, it'll be interesting. Obviously if the lines struggle, all these kind of antics are going to make the lines, the butt of the joke. Sure. And I get that. And that's, uh, obviously a that's risk, the risk. Uh, that management is, is worth taking. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what? It probably happens in 2021. The Lions are probably not going to be a good team. And people are going to say, you know, all these stupid antics, he's not serious enough. The Lions are, are another joke, and they, they, they're acting like jokes. They're not they're not acting like they've been there before or like this is a serious game. But this is just like this is the way the pendulum swings every three or four years in Detroit. It's like you either get a guy that's too nice to the players like Jim Caldwell, or you get a guy that's too much of a dick and, and everyone hates him. And, and that that's why the Lions suck in a guy like Matt Patricia. Truth yeah. is both those kind of coaches can win games. And that's the only time the players are truly going to be happy that that media won't harp on the, the coach's personality as a reason why the team sucks. Um, so it, the Lions gave him a six year deal. They know it's going to be a long-term haul here. So they're just going to kind of have to weather some bad press probably this year and, and hopefully turn things around in 2022 or 2023. So did I see some clips? You were talking about the, the coaching staff of, uh, of you having some back and forth with Deuce Daly. <laughs> that, that is I think there was like a mustache in my... involved or something yes. like that. Uh, I, I grew out a quarantine mustache uh, for, uh, <laughs> for Movember. Back back in November, and then uh, fans enjoyed it so much that they uh, they essentially kept donating and making sure I didn't shave it, and that carried over until April. Nice. So I didn't shave my mustache for for six six months. Is that or so? it's about six five months? months so. Five months, six and, months. Yeah. Yeah, and do Staley's first press conference. Like he's going around almost roasting every single member of the Lions media in a, in a very playful way. Sure. Uh, and I was I was first on the list with with that mustache of mine. <laughs> Um, but it, it, you know, again, it, it speaks to kind of the fun um, attitude that this coaching staff has. This very relatable um, um, personalities that they they all have, and we turned that into a one on one interview that we got for him later. And so, nice. um, just really cool that they're open and and fun and and you know just personable. Like, I, if if everyone in that media room is a little more looser than those press during those press conferences. I think we're we're all going to be better for it. The coaches are going to be better for it because we'll treat them with more respect, and and vice versa. We'll we'll get treated with more respect, and we'll probably get more honest answers too. So, um, I think it's just kind of a a sign of of what the Lions are trying to do with their coaching staff. Not only as it pertains to to the media, obviously that's probably um, you know secondary or, or third or, or fourth um, in terms of their priority, but um, you know they'll, they'll relate in that same sort of way to to players, and I, I think the Lions will benefit from that. Yeah, so it could be uh, could be something good headed this way yeah. uh, for the Lions. So we move on to free agency, and whenever you have a new GM and a new head coach, uh, bodies are going to drop. And, um, you know, the list on both sides, free agent signings, free agent losses, uh, are pretty heavy. And But there's also kind of seems to be, okay, you got rid of this guy, but you brought in this guy. There's a lot of corresponding uh, moves like Desmond Trufant is gone, but Quinton Dunbar uh, comes in. Uh, Marvin Jones is gone. Tyrell Williams 
comes in. Damian Riley comes in from Houston at wide receiver. Kenneth Galladay gets the big money from the uh, from the Giants and, and so on and so forth. Uh, Brashad Perriman uh, has kind of been a journeyman since being a first-round failure for the Ravens. He's coming in uh, as well. Darren Fells, the tight end from Houston, and and so on and so forth. I mean, I mean, it's it's quite a flock of guys going in either direction uh, for the Lions. What what are these new guys going to be looked to do that the other guys couldn't do anymore? Uh, well, I think that the name of the game, really, in terms of the guys that they brought aboard, is speed. Because Matt Patricia, his defensive style was to get big and physical, have these linebackers play at two sixty, two seventy pounds, and and just try to out thump other guys now you know chris bielman comes in to to kind of uh act as the assistant to the team he goes uh, on the radio like day one and says this team's going to be faster especially on defense so they're getting guys that are that are smaller but faster um you mentioned tyrell williams and brashad perriman two guys um who, who have struggled in this league and, and kind of have chips on their shoulder but have proven it at times with their speed they've won with their speed um, same thing with Alex Anzalone, um, the, a guy who, um, you know, played pretty well for, for the Saints as both a starter and a reserve guy. He's probably going to be a starter here in Detroit, but he's the exact kind of linebacker that they want in terms of uh, body form, you know, to 230 and, and maybe can actually run a 40 time um, before they, they lock the doors at night in Indy. So um, <laughs> I, I think I think that was ultimately the plan. Obviously, um, you know, COVID and, and the fact that the, the salary cap um, went down had a huge impact on on the Lions' um, free agency time. They they, yeah. they cut a whole bunch of guys in in addition to letting a guy like Kenny Galladay walk. They just didn't spend a lot. They 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 really looked through the bargain bin when it came to uh, free agency. And you, and you look at the players they signed. Every single one of them was a one year deal, except for Jamal Williams, the, the running yeah. back that that came from uh, Green Bay. Green Bay yeah. So. It's a lot of prove it deals for these guys who who come with those chips on their shoulders. That you know, I think a lot of these guys like, I, I a lot of these guys probably came to Detroit knowing this is probably one of the few places where I have a chance to start, where I have a chance to prove myself, and so they come to Detroit with that opportunity on a one year deal to hopefully make a whole much whole bunch more money next year. And the Lions are hoping that extra motivation gives them some pretty good performances on the field. And I think that's a smart strategy for a team that's rebuilding. They don't have the money. To, to make any huge splashes. So they're like, you know what? Let's pocket some of that money, bring it over to next year when maybe we're a little more competitive. Don't try to sell ourselves out in free agency because that's not how you build um, really a team ever, but especially not in a rebuild. And and in the meantime, get some guys that, that know that they're on their last leg in the NFL, and if they don't turn things around, they might be done and uh, and see what they can do with them. Yeah, because when I look at this list of guys that departed, it's like, wow, it's like these guys were players uh, for the Lions, Desmond Trufant, uh, Marvin Jones, Chase. Well, Chase Daniel was your backup quarterback. He was ours too, so I guess that's he's just you know somehow. I mean, this guy is going to make a hundred million dollars as a backup quarterback just because he happens to be a backup quarterback. Right. Some right. guys live the charm life, man. He's he's going to have a fifteen year NFL career. He's going to play less than thirty games and have a hundred million in the bank to look you know to thank for it. So you know some some guys just fail upwards, if you will. So. Yep. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, Danny Shelton, uh, Christian Jones, who's back in Chicago, uh, with us, Matt Prater, what happened there? I mean, he's like one of you was, was he falling off for you guys or was I it mean, a money issue? That that's a great question because the deal that he signed, um, with the Cardinals was not that expensive. I mean, I think he has a, a cap at less than 2 million this year. And then I think it jumps to like 5 million the year after. 
Um, but he wanted to be here. Yes, 2020 wasn't his best season, um, but it, it, it certainly wasn't bad. Um, still, the guy can still kick 57-yard game winners. And so that that was the biggest head-scratcher for me in free agency. He's a guy that wanted to be here that didn't cost too much. I understand if you're trying to rebuild, maybe you're trying to find a younger option, but the Lions didn't really get younger at the kicker position. And, you know, the Lions have been known for being, you know, the one the one good thing about the Lions in general over the past 40, 50 years has been, been their kickers. Well, yeah. They've got a pretty good kicker. Yeah. And uh, for some reason, they let Matt Prater walk that I still don't quite understand. But, um, you know, all things considered, if the Lions aren't going to be good this year or next year, um, probably not something to really harp on too too much. Right. Randy Bullock from Cincinnati was signed to replace him. Is there going to be a camp led to compete with him or is it his job? Uh, yeah, they do have a camp leg. Uh, Matthew Wright, um, he he signed a futures deal before um, before free agency started. Um, not a guy with a ton of experience. I don't think he ends up winning the job. So uh, I think Bullock's your guy. OK, so as we talked about, Kenny Galladay goes for the money in, in uh, with with the Giants. Reggie Ragland is gone. Carry on Johnson. Uh, off to Philadelphia, Jared Davis, another first round pick. He's with the Jets now. So this is like a lot of like who's who as far as Detroit Lions are concerned on this departure uh, list. So like that was the thing that was kind of surprising to me. And then I have this little list below it where it's like these guys are still free agents. What's their status with the Lions? You got Everson Griffin, Adrian Peterson, Danny Amendola are all still out there. Any plans to maybe bring some of these guys back or are they free to anybody else who wants them? Yeah, I think those guys are gone. I, I know Everson Griffin still wants to play for the Vikings. I don't know if the Vikings still want him, but um, I, I wouldn't suspect him back. Um, Danny Amendola, there was a really kind of cryptic video after the Lions final game where um, there are cleats literally hanging from the uprights at Ford Field with him kind of walking away from it, suggesting that maybe he's going to retire, but obviously hasn't announced that yet. Um, Adrian Peterson's kind of an interesting one because obviously the, the line signed Jamal Williams to kind of take Adrian Peterson's role. Um, but they have been sniffing around at the running back position ever since they, they released carry on Johnson. Um, obviously you, you may have heard the rumors that they were very interested in Todd Gurley. Um, <laughs> Todd Gurley's still out there. I think that's probably where the lines will, will eventually, um, add a, a an RB three. I guess the question is whether Todd Gurley wants to be an RB3, and I, I have to imagine the answer to that is probably no. Um, but considering he's still a free agent at this point, he might not have another option there. So um, if there's a guy that might have a chance of coming back, it, it might be Adrian Peterson. Um, but considering, you know, coaching change and the fact that, um, you know, the RB1 or 2 spot is not currently available in Detroit, uh, I kind of think it's unlikely he he wants to come back. Now, before we get into the draft real quick, I was just looking through the, the 2020 uh, schedule for you guys, or the, the results, if you will. And, of course, the last game of the season you guys won uh, was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, your, your first game under your interim head coach uh, it was That's Bevel, right. right? Yep. Yeah. So um, that was our sixth loss in a row. So um, <laughs> I got to tell you, man, I mean – Never mind the fact that it was that we lost the, a home division game. Never mind that we had a ten point lead in the fourth quarter with like four yep. minutes to go uh, in the game. Never mind that it was an interim coach's first game uh, at the helm or anything like that. Never mind that it was a division game. What made me batshit crazy after this or just watching this game was that it was clear from moment one in that game 
David Montgomery was running on a different gear that day. Okay. <laughs> he was virtually unstoppable in the first half. And when we gave him the ball, because what was really pissing me off is that Nagy kept rotating Cordero Patterson into the game and not sticking with it was almost like he couldn't see well, like he wasn't picking up on what Montgomery was doing because he kept yanking him out of there and putting Cordero Patterson in there. Not that Cordero Patterson didn't run the ball well because he did. We ran the ball very well against you guys, or at least in the first half we did uh, anyway. But he kept pulling him off the field, kept putting Cordero Patterson in there. And what, what really upset me, like I was upset after that game for a thousand reasons, but what really pissed me off happened on Monday when I started listening to all like the – the, the podcast for, you know, the, you know, for, for, at all the different levels, whether it was Hogan Johns, who are beat writers uh, for the Bears. Uh, a friend of mine does a, another Bears podcast on the Locked On Network, Locked On Bears. Uh, you know, it was like from everybody, every single one of us was like, why won't we give him the ball to David Montgomery? Why do we keep taking him out of the game? Why the hell are we having Mitch drop back, uh, do a deep drop on third down in, in our own end zone where he fumbles and you guys eventually score the game-winning touchdown? Why did this? Why did that? And I, J- Jeremy, listening to it, from me, the fat guy on the couch, all the way up to the recap show that Olin Krutz and two other Bear uh, greats do on like NBC Sports in Chicago, all of us. We're wondering why the hell, I mean, all wondering the same things. It's like, if it's so clear to so many people at various levels of involvement in the game, history with the game, all, if all of us can see it, why the hell can't Matt Nagy see it? How is he so oblivious to what everyone else can see? You know, it was like, that's what drove me nuts. And I was prepared, fully prepared to wake up Monday morning to the alert that Nagy had been fired along with Ryan Pace and that the Bears were also going to have an interim head coach for the last four or five games uh, of the season because I, that was it. That was it for all of us, for a lot of Bear fans. It's like, they're done, they're fired, tomorrow they're done. McCaskey, grow a pair, get rid of these guys, and let's move on, you know, kind of thing. It was, it was that Lions game that put us over because it was our sixth loss in a row. We should have won that game. Uh, and all, that, all the things that we did wrong in that game that ended up costing us, it was it was mind boggling, especially the end of the game. There, Allen Robinson decides to run out of bounds a yard before the first down, yep. Uh, yep. and all that kind of stuff. It was just, it was just you know frustrating on a thousand different levels. And um, so I want to thank you for that because yeah, not no only did Sunday suck, but Monday sucked even more. When I was like, dude, how is it everybody else is picking up on this, but Nagy, no clue, no clue. So I mean, it, it was it it drove me insane. But Larry, the the Bears ended up rattling off three win, three straight wins after that, made the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, three, against right? against against Houston, Jacksonville, and Minnesota, three of the worst <laughs> defensive teams in the league at the time. You know, and then when we ran into teams with actual talent like Green Bay and uh, New Orleans, we got our asses handed to us. So <laughs> a lot of good that did us. You know, it's like, ugh, man. It's like, yeah, we salvaged a playoff berth out of it. Probably more so because the Cardinals petered out at the end of the season than by anything we did. You know, like we we record. Yeah, we backed our way in. We didn't win our way in. We backed our way in. So it's like there was nothing really exciting about making it to the playoffs. And the only hope that we had of beating New Orleans was hoping that we'd be able to replicate the overtime battle that we had with them in Chicago earlier in the season. If that team shows up to play, then New Orleans might have to sweat this one out. But if it's week 17 Chicago that's going down there, New Orleans is going to kill us, and they did. So, 
yeah. So, again, that's where I was at at the end of the season. Get rid of them. The last thing I want to hear is that Nagy and Pace are coming back. What do we hear? Nagy and Pace coming back. God, they're actually going to do this. They are going to do this. And like I said, well, we've already kind of detailed what the offseason was. And then we get to this draft night, you know, this, this, this long segue that we get going back into the, to the draft. And, you know, it was such an interesting night and how it all had to happen. All the things that had to happen, all the things that had to fall our way in order for Justin Fields to be an option for us. And you guys took part in that because there was some rumor, some talk, you know, not much, but at number seven where you guys sat, would a quarterback be an option for you? Yeah, you got Jared Goff, but you can ditch him, I think, after a year uh, or two. You got those two first-round picks and all that kind of stuff, so maybe maybe you might be in the market for a quarterback, and, and, and we'll see what happens. What was the – because I, I don't remember seeing Penny – well, number one, Penny Sewell wasn't supposed to be there at seven. In every right. single mock draft I saw, he was off the board like at number two to protect – Sam Darnold for the Jets, or maybe he made it as far as five to the Bengals to protect Joe Burrow, but he never made it to seven where he was sitting with you. Yeah, I mean, for me, it it felt like maybe a 50-50, like that he might be there, and it was really the Bengals, and you know the Bengals are having this conversation since January. Do do we save Joe Burrow's leg finally and get uh, get an offensive tackle that, that can finally fortify that offensive line? Or do he just go straight for the wide receiver and say, you know what, he's going to stand stand up long enough to, to throw it to a guy who can actually catch the ball. And obviously they, they went with the receiver. And I think at that point, I felt pretty confident they were going to go with Penny Sewell. Um, I know you're, you're right. There was definitely a lot of quarterback talk this offseason and, and debates both internally probably and, mm-hmm. and externally about what the Lions should, should do there. Um, I didn't really believe the hype that, that they were seriously considering a quarterback some of the things they were saying in the offseason really seemed to point to the fact that they not only really liked Jared Goff, but that, you know, at the beginning of a rebuild like this, it's not really smart to necessarily start with a quarterback because then you got a year or two of him just struggling with a bad team, and that's not really a great way to start a rookie's career. Um, you you got to build a foundation first. I think that's something, you know, a, a paraphrase quote I subscribe from to that. Dan Campbell. Yeah. And, yeah, the Lions just don't have that right now. So, you know, a lot of people are calling Jared Goff a, a bridge quarterback to get us to a point where the Lions have a, a roster that can at least contend on a week-to-week basis, and then they add that quarterback. And, you know, the Lions have the Rams' first-round pick next year. They have the Rams' first-round pick in 2023. And so package that with maybe the Lions' first-round pick of wherever that is going to be. Maybe that gets them up to one. Maybe that gets up, them up to a top-five pick. Um, maybe, you know, we, we have another deep draft of quarterbacks. I think that's the one argument that I think a lot of people had, and – it, it, it's a tough one to make now, but they thought this was a pretty, pretty deep class in terms of the, the quarterback class. And looking ahead, it, it might not look as deep, although I don't really like to look ahead a year ahead yeah. because, you know, you do that. If All you have to do is really look at like 20, 2021 mock drafts from 2020 and see how ridiculous they look like. Right. A bunch of guys that, that didn't even get drafted are there in the first round. Right. So yeah, yeah. Um, a lot can change is, is what I'm going to say, but yeah, I think Penny Sewell was was one of their top guys, if not maybe the top guy that they even had an inkling might be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they're pretty happy with it. I I mean, I'm I'm always team trade down, especially when you have a high draft pick and you can really get a lot on that return. Right. Um, so there was part of me that was like, you know, with a couple of the quarterbacks still on the board, with even Penny Sewell 
on the board. You could probably turn that into uh, a lot of draft picks, and this team needs as many as they can get. Um, but overall, like like you said, Penny Sewell is a guy that a lot of people saw going in the top five. So the line's grabbing him at seven. It's not something I can ultimately get mad at. <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room, formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys. Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And, of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. Yeah, if it's not Sewell, like say he, the, the Bengals did smarten up and, and they take him at five, because I talked to um, a beat writer from the Cincinnati Esquire, Inquirer, not Esquire, Inquirer, mm-hmm. and um, I asked, I was like, you know, a couple of questions about this. Number one, what the hell, man? Why would you do that? I mean, I know him and Jamar Chase, they broke records in 2019 and all that kind of stuff. That makes a lot of sense, except it's hard to hit an old, a guy, no matter how wide open he is, when you're throwing up from underneath bodies uh, in the backfield. I mean, that's what got him, you know, missing an ACL there in the first place. And also, what was the likelihood of the, of the Bengals trading out? Because that was really the first spot for sure in that top 10 where somebody didn't need a quarterback. Right. Because obviously one, two, and three, the Jaguars, the Jets, and and later on the 49ers all looking for a quarterback. The the the, the Falcons were a maybe on the quarterback. Right. Maybe they draft a quarterback of the future. Maybe they can't pass up on Kyle Pitt. Kyle Pitts. They don't pass up on Pitts. Boom. So, but but the first spot in the draft where there was no question you don't need a quarterback was Cincinnati. You guys could have come out with a king's ransom of picks at five if you you know especially if if you know the bears were dumb enough to try to call cincinnati and get that spot you know i can only imagine what that would have cost us because it cost uh, san francisco three ones and a three to go from 12 to three what would it cost us to go from 20 to five dear god you know but it's like they pass and she's like there was some talks but i think they always knew that it was going to be jamar chase so there there weren't very you know like very serious talks about trading uh the pick and like you know it's i think all along it was always going to be they were always going to take the pick and not trade it away uh kind of thing but it's like after cincinnati uh miami at six you know early rumblings in the priest in the offseason now maybe we're not so in love with with tua and stuff like that maybe we want to look at somebody else they go receiver then you guys at seven, you take Penesul. Um, 
was it going to be Devontae Smith and then Penny Sewell was just too hard to pass up or what, what was, you know, was that because I think wide receiver was the other spot that you guys were were like hot for in the mock drafts or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And obviously the Lions still have a pretty big need at the, at the wide receiver position. But the way that night went and the way, you know, we, we've seen some videos since Penesula was was their dude like they they were over the moon. I think maybe Jamar Chase would have been the pick if somehow Jamar Chase had been there sure. still. Um, but any any wide receiver short of Jamar Chase, I don't think was going to be the pick. Jalen, like they were doing backflips when Jalen Waddle went off uh, the board right before they picked. They, Jalen Waddle was not going to be the pick. They were thrilled to have Panay Sewell. I I think I, th- there are even some rumors that the Lions were were thinking about trading up to get Panay Sewell. So hmm. um, I, I think they got their guy. And and basically everything you saw from draft day, you know, Brad Holmes going nuts, Dan Campbell's going nuts, high five and leap and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, again, I saw that clip. Yeah, that, that that again, that kind of thing plays into the some some people's mind that the Lions aren't taking this seriously enough. Um, but I, I'm enjoying them having fun because it's making it a little bit more fun for me. And, and Sewell <laughs> is definitely the, the, the guy that uh, I think really started off the, the air in, a, in, a, in the right direction. For sure. And then at eight, Carolina, nine, Denver. I mean, talk about places that need quarterbacks, and they both go corner uh, yeah. in that spot. And then at 10, the Cowboys trade out, and Philadelphia jumps in there, takes Devontae Smith, which in turn is the pick that the Giants wanted. So they don't have their guy on the board anymore. So that leaves them open to trade with us. And yep. God bless Dave Gettleman. God bless Dave Gettleman. Not only did he make the deal with the Bears, he did not gut us like I would basically expect it yeah. anyone to. Okay. Because yeah. I'm sitting there, and I've told this a thousand times, and my listeners are probably sick of hearing this story. But I'm sitting there on draft night, and of course it was on six different networks. So one goes to commercial, you just switch to another one. And as I switched from, I think, ESPN to ABC or whatever it was, just at that moment you see Giants trade with, and then the helmet graphic slides across the, the screen, the Bears. Like, oh, oh, God, they did it. Oh, my God. You know, and I'm just freaking out. I was like, I know it's Justin <laughs> Fields. So hip, hip, hooray for Justin Fields. I'm thrilled about that. But – what did it cost us? What did it? What did Pace give away? Because this is Mr. Aggressive, go get your guy, and here he is doing it again. What did you give up in order to make this happen? So I'm sitting there, pins and needles, waiting for the compensation uh, to come through. And it's like, okay, we swap picks this year, okay? Fifth rounder this year. All right, that's kind of Ryan Pace's thing, is fifth round picks, but all right, fine. Uh, first rounder next year, yeah, figured that. Fourth rounder next year. That's it. Is that it? I was like, yep, that's it. That's it. Holy, you know, it's like, oh my God. That, I, I can live with that. That is, I yeah. can do that. That's awesome. And not only was it because we only gave up one first rounder, it's because we didn't give up our second or third round picks. So we still got day two picks to yeah. play with here. This is awesome. You know, and then of course we parlayed that into Tevin Jenkins, and I'm practically you know, jizzing in my chair when we, we draft because Jenkins was the guy I wanted at 20. If we didn't trade up, I wanted Jenkins at 20 and we got him at 39. You know, it's like, give me a break here. We possibly, possibly we have our cornerstone left tackle and our franchise quarterback in the same draft. God help me if that's how it works out. I mean, we're due, (laughs) we are due, especially at quarterback. God help us. So, you know, it's like, I'll take that all day long. So I, yeah. I can tell you from a Lions standpoint, that was kind of a gut punch. That entire, uh, you know, I was, I was live streaming the entire night. And 
I think I think at that I was maybe just coming off of you know Panay Sewell's little intro uh, phone call with the media, uh-huh. and I hear the news that that went down, and you know there there was definitely like a a bunch of Lions fans that wanted Justin Fields at seven. Um, most of them hate Jared Goff and think he doesn't have a chance uh, of succeeding. And, and you know, let, let's be fair. Like Jared Goff has been really bad in the mm-hmm. past two years. He's been really, really bad. And and there's a reason why he drove Sean McVay crazy in Los Angeles. But he, you know, he's also a former first round pick. He's also a guy who made it to the Super Bowl and and made the Pro Bowl a couple of years. So um, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I think I think even the people that didn't want Justin Fields at seven kind of, you know, like, you know, swallowed their spit at that moment. Just a big gulp was just like, Oh God. Yeah. If he succeeds in Chicago, we are never going to hear the end of it. (laughs) That we passed on Justin Fields only for him to go to, I would argue our biggest rival in the NFL. Sure. Sure. I mean, it's, it's um, like I said, that's, that's where the off season turned on a dime for pretty much every bear fan out there. Yeah. Like neither one no I don't think really anyone was like, yeah, 2021 it was more like let's just get it over with. I mean, <laughs> we know this is not going to be good. You know, Andy Dalton might be able to win us some football games and yeah, we still got some studs on defense, but overall, you know, what are we really doing here? You know, Allen Robinson's just playing out the string on the franchise tag, you know. He panicked when he saw the wide receiver market and signed the the tender because 18.7 million as the franchise is way more than the market was going to allow him to get yeah. this year. So, you know, even when the Bears win, they lose because we got Allen Robinson back, but we got him at about 5 million more than the market was going to give him. Uh, out there uh, this year. So like we've let him, if we'd let him go out in free agency, we could have cut him back for, for pennies on the dollar, maybe even less than what we signed him for originally, as far as the market was concerned. So, um, you know, it's like, what, what are we really looking forward to here? You know, Nagy and pace running out the string so we can start over in 2022, you know, it's like, that's basically what it is. And then we draft Justin Fields, Tevin Jenkins on top of it. It's like, okay, so when does training camp start? You know, so we because we can get this thing underway. Let's get this thing going here, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, it it literally turned on a dime. All of a sudden, Chicago Bear football in twenty twenty one was something that Bear fans actually are looking forward to. It might still suck in the end, but we've got a future at least. Because but, the uh, other the other brilliant thing, excuse me, real real quick with the with the Tevin Jenkins thing was that the trade compensation when we moved up from fifty two to thirty nine was all in 2021. So it didn't he didn't give up future picks along with what we gave up for for Fields to to make that trade. He kept it all in 2021. So, you know, we're we're, we're still got second and third round picks next year to to work with and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's it, it was uh yeah, like we're actually looking forward to this season now. Well, to to bring you back down to reality, uh, Andy okay. Dalton still is QB one. He is, to your head yeah, coach. yeah, he is, and and they keep <laughs> saying that. Um, but also, what's what's really cracking me up is that Nagy's also kind of leaving the door open yeah. at the same time because he's right. also he saying things like, "We're not going to keep him on the bench just to keep him on the bench." Right. Uh, you know, we're gonna you know we're gonna get him out there or you know whatever. It's just there's there's kind of just also kind of leaving that little inkling that he can probably just call back to when he announces Justin Fields is the week one starter against the Rams. Well, remember I said, we weren't going to keep him on the bench just to keep him on the bench. You saw how he did in the preseason. So obviously he's the best quarterback on the team. So we're just going to ride with him and Andy Dalton's going to be a backup and blah, blah, blah. So 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see because, you know, and I, and I've said this now that, you know, talking to everyone up to this point, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the attitude's going to change now that I'm talking to my NFC North guys, but, um, you know, everyone that I've talked to up to this point, the first, what, 11 shows that I've done uh, previewing our, our opponents uh, for this year, everyone is excited to see what Justin Fields is going to do. Everyone <laughs> wants to see him out there. That's been like the number one question. No matter where we're because I've talked to Cleveland and Cincinnati, that's week two and three for us. Even right. those guys were like, dude, Justin Fields is going to be out there, right? That's when we're going to play. You know, we, you know, we play. He's going to be out there. We're going to be playing against him and uh, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't think it's going to happen that soon. But it, I went from being the conservative, very, you know, cooler heads prevailed. Let's let him sit back and learn. Let's do the Patrick Mahomes thing. Let him, you know, let's look forward to 2022 for sure. He's taking over no matter what. In 2022, let's not right. rush this thing to all of a sudden be like, screw it. Put him out there. Everybody wants to see him play. I'm on board. Let's do it. You know, it's like I'm just <laughs> completely, you know, one end of the spectrum from where I was when we first drafted him. So, yeah, it, it's been it's been kind of crazy. So, but um, continuing on here now that we are actually talking about the draft, um, I have no idea who your second pick or your th- two third rounders are, but your fourth round guy, Amon Ra St. Brown, was somebody yeah. that I saw getting mocked to the Bears in the second round. In a yeah. lot of drafts, and you got him at four. So that's got to be a, a pretty good value pick for you guys. Yeah, and honestly, I, I feel like the Lions got pretty good value in, in all their picks. Um, but that one especially, yeah, a guy who um, if they, the Lions showed their you know their draft room kind of behind-the-scenes video. And some sometime in day two, the owner, Sheila Ford-Hamp, um, basically in her first draft as the owner, turns to the general manager, Brad Holmes, goes like, are we worried about wide receiver right now? We don't have any wide receiver. <laughs> like she's like, isn't, isn't this a problem? We haven't drafted a wide receiver. We just drafted two defensive tackles on day two. Like what are we doing at wide receiver? <laughs> yeah. And Brett Holmes turns to him. He's like, look at this list we got. And obviously we don't see the list cause they're not going to show yeah, their, yeah. their draft board or anything, but he's like, this is a real deep class. And we've got like, he literally specifically says that that guy from USC is still on the board. So he knew like he, he knew that was his guy and he knew they were going to have a chance for him in, uh, in, in day three in the beginning of day three. And so they go out and, and yeah, they, they get him, And, um, you know, he's a guy that really brings uh, a lot of skills to the table. The way I've described his game is that he's, he's kind of that, um, Jack of all trades, but, but master of none. Right. Type of guy. Sure. Sure. Um, he, he, he can really bring a little bit of everything, but he's not, He's not going to be in a thousand yard receiver that that really blows everyone up. He's not going to be a number one receiver. He's probably going to play in the slot, but he'll probably play right away. And so he could be a guy that you know gets six hundred, seven hundred yards in his in his rookie season because the Lions don't have a lot of competition there. And so I, you know, in terms of value, that was probably their best pick. Um, it was surprising to see them go back to back defensive tackles, but at the same time, like they're changing what they're doing up front. They need new bodies. They need new young guys who who are ready to to you know win in the trenches and and really pass rush through the trenches because Matt Patricia I, I hate continuing to bring up his name and, and you know showing that the lines are going in the exact opposite direction but you know they they wanted big run stuffers and and guys who who could hold gaps not penetrate gaps lines are now trying to get a little faster on the interior defensive line trying to rush the passer a little bit and uh so that's that was their strategy on day two and, and maybe it was just kind of a coincidence that they were both defensive tackles, but, um, you know, it, it, it ultimately it still makes sense to me. 
And I'm guessing that uh, your second and uh, third round picks are, um, and maybe even uh, St. Brown uh, featured heavily in your uh, your name tournament that you guys like to have. Yeah, uh, every year. Absolutely. Yeah, we're still in we're still in round one of that, so we'll see how the rookies do. But yeah, we've got Levi Onzerike. Uh, Amonra St. Brown is a one seed, so I feel like he has a good chance of winning the whole thing. Uh, I mean, even even Panay Sewell, like uh, people seem to like that first sure, name because sure. it, it looks like uh, some other word that I won't say. Right. <laughs> but of course, you know, the, the third round guy, uh, Ifitu Melifunu? Funwu? Funwu? Ifatu Melifunwu. There yeah. you go. That's yeah. a key and peel all-star right there. Absolutely. You know, we're just Absolutely. throwing syllables together and, <laughs> you know, like we, we were pulling syllables out of a hat and we put names together from the syllables that came out. So, Ifitu, Ifit, what is it? Was that again? Ifatu. Ifatu, even though there's an E in it. Okay. Ifatu Melifonu. Funwu? Yeah. Fanwu. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, the kind of weird, interesting part about the Lions roster is I think they have five players with Nigerian backgrounds. So two, they drafted this year, Nifatsu Melifanwu and, uh, and uh, Levi Onzerike. Um that Jeff, Jeff Okuda is also in that group. And sure. so is, I, I want to say Mani Oruwarie maybe as well. Um, so they, they just have a bunch of defensive players that um, for, for whatever reason, all, all come from Kenyan descent, but kind of a, a an interesting storyline uh, that, that certainly, uh, takes place in our, our, our name bracket. Sure, sure. I mean, and just to give some context, you know, the Pride of Detroit has this this little tournament every year because the Lions seem to have a knack for having just the the most unique names on the roster. And year in and year out, they have enough for you guys to pull off a 16-seed tournament uh, at least to uh, you to determine who's got the most unique name uh, on the the Detroit Lions uh, roster, so it's interesting to follow on Twitter when you guys do that. Yeah, yeah. It, it actually it all started in 2015. There's there's someone that does just a name bracket for the world, like just the most interesting names in the world. And in <laughs> 2015, a Detroit Lion made it. Um, he, he goes by the name of Le Adrian Waddle. Okay. And I took offense to that because I thought there were better names on the Detroit Lions roster. Sure, sure. So what I did was create a 64-player tournament uh, to determine the best name on the team. And <laughs> if if you if you're interested, I don't know if this is going too off topic. I can name you our uh, our six winners since. Okay, go ahead. Uh, 2015 was Ezekiel Ansa. Okay. 2016 was Jace Billingsley, and there's a whole long story that I won't get into behind that. Okay. Uh, 2017 was Storm Norton. Nice. Solid name. 2018 was Quandre Diggs. Yes. 2019, Amani Oruarie. Okay. And, of course, 2020 was D-Virgin. A <laughs> <laughs> lot of mature fans you got out yeah. there. D-Virgin. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Nice. Yep. Nice. I couldn't stop okay. that one even, even yeah. though I tried. That was just too much. Had a head of steam by the time the finals came around, right? Exactly. Okay. So, <laughs> wrapping up. Uh, your um, your draft choices here, like you said, two defensive tackles on day two. Um, the one with a, a name I can't pronounce, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to get it wrong. Aleem McNeil, Aleem, yeah, nailed, nailed it, one. nice from uh, NC State, and then uh, Onzerike, because I've, I've you heard go. you say it six yeah. times already. Onzerike from from Washington in the second round, and then uh, Melafonwu or Fanwu or whatever from Syracuse. He had an older brother that played in the league, didn't he? 
Yeah, Obi. Obi, uh, oh, safety that uh, I think he played for the Raiders for yeah, a little bit. That sounds um, right. He's he's basically he's still in the league, but uh, kind of uh, he's still in the to league. Maybe fall out. Yeah, um, definitely just... was a, a bust. Uh, a guy who actually I think he he transferred from corner to safety, and a lot of people <laughs> were thinking maybe that's what uh, Ifatu um, might do. But every indication is that he's eventually going to play outside corner for this team. Uh, it just probably won't be in year one. All right, and then in the uh, no fifth or sixth round picks, but your last two picks, uh, the Lions take it easy on me. Uh, Derek Barnes from Purdue, a linebacker in the fourth round, and then in the seventh round, Jamar Jefferson, a running back out of uh, Oregon State. So obviously the seventh rounder is probably going to be a special teams, maybe a practice squad kind of guy. That's what those picks are usually for. But uh, Derek Barnes and above, those are you know third, fourth round picks. Those are guys that usually have some kind of – role on the team uh when they come in what what do you see these guys doing yeah i think i honestly i think all of those guys are going to have some sort of role whether it's special teams or more um you know i mean this, we're talking about the 32 32nd ranked defense last year so you know two defensive tackles a corner and a linebacker that you know that's by design they, yeah. they needed they just needed bodies uh, more than anything else so Derek barnes that fourth round pick um probably won't start um but i think certainly will have a role on defense in his rookie year, he's he's again as I mentioned before, uh, a smaller, speedier type. And some of the plays he made in Purdue are just kind of eye popping. The sideline to sideline speed that he's got. The only issue with him is that he played edge for most of his career at Purdue, so the off ball position is going to be a little bit of a learning curve. He did it for one year there, um, so he has experience, but it's going to be um, something he's going to have to learn to do more, like cover. He he didn't do really any coverage at, at Purdue, so. They'll ease him into that role. I think they expect him to be a full-time starter maybe year, maybe by the end of year two, maybe maybe at the beginning of year two, given uh, given how poor the roster is right now. Um, as I mentioned, Ifatu Melifanwu, the line he he's not lined up to be a starter right now. Um, might get into you know some some nickel in some occasions. He's he's a tall. I think he's six two, so he's kind of he can be that physical corner that that you know can play against maybe tight ends or, or some of the taller if the the opposing team has one of those big slot guys that are more physical than fast um he'd be a good matchup there but um maybe down the line a year or two he could be the an outside starter but um year one i think he's going to just kind of play a rotation role and then at defensive tackle i think both those guys are going to get playing time a lot of playing time this year they they did bring in michael brockers via trade so Again, maybe not a starting role for either of those guys, but um, those those are going to be your future guys in the middle for for a long time to come, as long as everything plays out as the Lions expect to. Any practice squad guys you are, excuse me, uh, undrafted free agents you guys are excited about? I'm the kind of person that never gets excited about those kind of guys <laughs> uh, because I know better. Uh, but I know fans love to talk about them a lot. Um, Sage Surratt, I guess, is is maybe the the biggest name um, wide receiver, uh, a guy that. You, again, going back to kind of the behind the scenes video from the Lions War Room, Dan Campbell said he'd literally do backflips if they were able to get him in the undrafted free agency process, and they did. So obviously, they think very highly of him. Obviously, the Lions wide receiving core has been depleted this year, so um, he has a shot to make the roster. Um, I think I think he definitely makes a practice squad. Where's he from? The, the name sounds familiar. Oh God, you put me on the spot here. I can't I can't remember to be honest. I can look it up in a second here, but. Um, Wake Forest, that's right. Okay. Um, so that's not the guy I'm thinking about then. Yeah, he had. There's another Surratt. 
uh, in the draft that I can't remember either. But either way, um, you know, I think I think he has a shot. There's there's a couple other um, receivers and, and and guys in the secondary. Anyone who plays safety has a shot because lines <laughs> are, are really weak in that position as sure. well. So, um, you know, I, there's really you know, looking at, at when I was at minicamp down there uh, in Allen Park, there wasn't anyone that really stuck out as, as a guy that that's going to make some noise. Obviously training camp is a different beast. Maybe, maybe they get an opportunity there, but uh, I, I wouldn't expect much out of the Lions UDFA class, at least in year one. Yeah. I like to ask because that's one thing that, that Ryan Pace has had a pretty decent mm. rate of success uh, with, you know, when, yeah. dating back to when he first joined the team in 2015, uh, Bryce Callahan was an undrafted uh, free agent. Roy Robertson Harris was an undrafted mm-hmm. free agent. Two of our starting linemen from last year, uh, Stems, uh, uh, Sam Mustafer and Alex Bars, were undrafted free agents. So I mean, it's just something that the Bears have had a pretty decent level of success with, whether it's one guy here, two guys there. But there always seems to be at least one guy in the undrafted class that hangs around uh, and, and things like that. So that's why I like to ask, is there anybody out there that probably should have been drafted but somehow landed in your lap in the undrafted uh, free agent market? So I was like, the Bears have been – or Ryan Pace maybe – be more appropriate has been pretty good at, at finding at least one diamond in the rough um, uh, year in and year out in the undrafted class. So uh, let's move on to the schedule as we wrap things up here with Jeremy. Um, stop me if you've heard this before, but um, <laughs> we're playing you on Thanksgiving and you yeah. finish the year against Green Bay. Is, is that something that's happened six years in a row for you? Wow. That, no, that was that was super exciting to see all that. <laughs> Lions fans didn't just let out a big, big groan when they saw that. Oh, man. It's like, again, it's like, and, it's like, and I love the Bears playing on Thanksgiving, but one time could it be Dallas? One time? Or could it be the Bears at home for Thanksgiving against whoever? I don't care, yeah. you know, but... Oh, let's go to Detroit again. Okay, great. Let's go to Detroit and see how that happens or how it goes or, or, or what have you. There'll be fans this time, so that'll be fun uh, and everything. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's like, okay, Thanksgiving, Bears-Lions in Detroit. All right. Week 18, now that that's the final week of the season, Green Bay. It's like, son of a bitch, that means we're playing the Vikings again. <laughs> God damn it. But, yeah, I, that's – that kind of has me wanting. It's them so to lazy, move, dude. It is so lazy. Year in and year out, it happens the same way. Right. It's just. I mean. I mean. Part of it is out of necessity, right? Like if they're going to do this thing where every team plays a divisional foe in the final week of the season, which I, I get it. Like it that makes it have a, a better chance of having playoff implications and all that sort of sure. stuff. Sure. Um, but you're also going to finish the season with the same teams over and over again. The, they haven't done a good job in the NFC North in terms of even just rotating it between the not three at all. teams, not three at other all. teams. But uh, but there's also like there's only so much you can do at the same. I mean, time. I know they've been doing this for a while since like what 2010, 2011, something, something like, like that, that, where yeah. they incorporated it. But like in the last like six or seven years, yeah, we've played you once, we've played the Packers once, and every other time, not only has it been Minnesota, it's been in Minnesota. Yeah. Every single time, except for, I think, like 2014, like um, Tressman's last game as head coach was against the Lions in Chicago. And then, you know, this past season, we played Green Bay Week 17 in Chicago. Every other game in Minnesota for the last game of the season. And as Chris Gates pointed out to me when we were looking at the schedule last year, he's like, yeah, we're not, uh, we're not having you guys in for Week 17 because the, the Vikings are on the road the last two weeks of the season in 2020. But 
the last home game of the season is Chicago going to Minnesota. So it's like the NFL found a way to do it without doing it last year. So they still managed to pull it off that Minnesota's last home game of the season would be the Bears. So, you know, so we're on a seven-year-in-a-row streak, something like something ridiculous like that, of Chicago being the last home game for the Minnesota Vikings. It is bananas. And, you know, I talked to Evan Western uh, the other day for the, for the Packers. Uh, already and uh, you know same thing it's like it's got to be Detroit and it's got to be in Detroit I mean sometimes you guys rotate sometimes it's in Lambeau but not often it's almost always in Detroit which for our division makes no sense no (laughs) sense you got Lambeau you got Soldier Field you know the cold weather it's that time of year get it outside man it's the last game of the season you know it's uh, most most likely, unfortunately, in our division, it's only Green Bay that's going to be playing past this day. So let's have some fun in the weather or something like that instead of, you know, bundling up in, in the dome. So I, you know. I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it indoors in December. That's how football is meant. To well, be for a guy that now gets to go to the games, I'm sure you don't want to be in Lambeau <laughs> in early January. Who would be? But well, that's, uh, that's the interesting thing about the Lions schedule. If, if we can move back to that for a second. Yeah, go ahead. The the Lions road division games are is done by week five. Yeah. Week two is at Green Bay. Week four is at Chicago. Week yeah. five is at Minnesota. Yeah. No more road division games the rest of the I way. I didn't notice that, but yeah, you're right. Absolutely. So week one, it's you're home for San Francisco. Then early Monday night game, your only other aside from Thanksgiving, your only other national TV game on the schedule right now, because of course you can get flexed into something. But Monday night against Green Bay at Green Bay week two. So like you said, even even when you're going to Green Bay at September, it could still be warm outside when you play that game. Yeah. Um, home for the Ravens at Chicago at Minnesota week four and five. So first five games, it's, a, it's, in, it's an interesting schedule because we don't know who the 49ers are going to be. They're going to have everybody back that they missed last year, but will they be 2019 special again? That's what a lot of people are thinking. It's definitely possible. But will they be that team, and will they be that team week one? Because we know week one can be an absolute crapshoot as far as how the season itself uh, is going to turn out. And then you're at uh, you're at Green Bay and home for the Ravens at Chicago at Minnesota. So it's uh, it's wide open for you guys those first five weeks. A lot can happen there. Yeah, it, it's a bit of a gauntlet, and I, I think NFL Network did did a little like statistical analysis and, and determined the first four games is the toughest stretch of of their season. And it's not it's not a great way to throw Dan Campbell into the mix, having to face, you know, like you said, that 49ers team that could be a lot better than they were last year. And even, you know, with all the injuries that they had, which was by far the most in the NFL. Yeah, they were still a six and 10 team. They weren't god awful. They right. They were, they were contending. And um, who knows who they're going to are, are they going to start Garoppolo in week one? Maybe, maybe not. That's a huge question mark. And then, yeah, like having those three divisional road games is tough. Like it, it's nice to get them out of the way, but it's also when you're trying to build a culture, when you're trying to yeah. convince Lions fans that you're the guy for the job, front loading the schedule like that with the tough road division games seems a bit cruel. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I think I think the Lions can pull out maybe one win out of those first five games. I'm I'm not really even entertaining the idea that they they could beat the Ravens at home, even if it's at home. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a rough start to the schedule and, and it's probably going to drive some narratives that are way too early about the, the Dan Campbell era, but, um, but it, it it does ease up after, after a little bit. And, uh, 
I think we'll see the Lions get some some more wins uh, later in the season. Speaking of which, week uh, number six, after the back-to-back uh, road games at Chicago and Minnesota, you got the Bengals coming to town. Then you're mm-hmm. at the Rams, then home for the Eagles, then a week nine bye uh, before, let's see, at at Pittsburgh, at Cleveland, and then Thanksgiving uh, against the Bears, uh, week number 12. So, um yeah, so it does lighten up a little bit. The Rams is going to be tough. Um, the Browns is probably going to be tougher than the Steelers. But um, yeah, um, because after talking to everyone in the AFC North, the only people that believe the Steelers are actually going to contend this year are the Steelers. Uh, <laughs> everyone else in the division is like, Pfft. I mean, we'll see how it turns out because the Steelers, that's when they have their amazing seasons when everybody thinks they're done and they'll come in, you know, and just murder everyone across the board. But when you start 11-0 and and then finish 1-5, and including back-to-back losses to Cleveland in the mm-hmm. in Week 17, I'm not saying that because it's the Browns, but because they lost to a division rival. If they beat Cleveland, Cleveland doesn't make the playoffs. Then they're at home in Heinz Field in the playoff game and get embarrassed on their home field. So it's like the way that they really just kind of petered out at the end just – were nothing like the shell of themselves compared to a team that started 11-0. There's not a very high opinion outside of Pittsburgh as to what the Steelers are going to be uh, this year. And there's a very high thought about what the Cleveland Browns could be capable of uh, as well. So that's probably the tougher of the two games just looking at it from from right now. Yeah, and I mean, every every Lions fan has Week 7 circled though, right? At Rams. Yeah, Matthew I'm sure. Stafford. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that's... That's the game that ever like I, I don't go to many road games now that I'm I'm Detroit based again. Uh-huh. Uh but I'm I'm very much considering a trip back out to LA to see that game just because it's it's going to be it's going to be entertaining one way or another. Mm-hmm. That, that does I'm not suggesting that means it's going to be a close game. Uh, but if Matthew Stafford lights up the Detroit Lions, that's going to be entertaining in its own kind of <laughs> morbid way and uh you know something that Really, I mean, the last time the Lions experienced something like that was when Joey Harrington beat them on Thanksgiving as a member of the Miami Dolphins. Wow. <laughs> um, so, Joey Harrington. Um, There's a deep that's, cut. Uh, yeah, that would be something. All right. So then after the Bears, you get the mini buy, then home for the Vikings. So Bears-Vikings back-to-back in both instances uh, this year. You know, Chicago at Chicago at Minnesota, then home for the Bears, home for the Vikings uh, in, in Thanksgiving, early December, then at Denver. See, this is where the light part of the schedule comes. You got Minnesota, you got Denver on the road, home for the Cardinals, who you beat last year, at the Falcons, at Seattle. That one's going to be tough. And then, stop me if you've heard this before, finishing at home against the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that that month of December is kind of like the – all right, let's try to provide a little bit of optimism going into 2022. Let's <laughs> let's see if we can beat up on the Broncos, maybe the Vikings, maybe the Cardinals as well. Yeah. Um and 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 the Falcons potentially as well. I mean, you you could you could make a case that the Lions could win um three or four three out of those four games potentially. Obviously, making any sort of predictions like that is it's is far too premature, but sure. based on where we think some of these teams are going to be, it wouldn't be ridiculous for the Lions to win maybe three of those games and a lot of people aren't predicting the Lions to win much more than three. Period, and and it is a tough schedule. Like they're like you said, this is really the only time it kind of lightens up at all, and it's a three game stretch instead of yeah. you know maybe four or five. So, um, yeah, it, it it's it's a difficult schedule. I don't expect the Lions to be in contention in December, um, but you know things change. We players get injured, 
um, players come out of nowhere to, to be really, really good. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to bury the season before it starts. I, I Expectations are low, but that doesn't mean that I'm resigned to the fact there's no chance the Lions win six games or more. Like, no, I think there, there's certainly an opportunity for them to do that because I, I think I, – I, I do believe in the every – every any given Sunday mantra. Sure. I do believe that, you know, upsets happen on, on a weekly basis and – Teams are, are better than expected. Some teams are worse than expected. So we'll, we'll see. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I do think it's a tough schedule. I do think the Lions are in year one of a rebuild. So um, expectations should be low. Well, the any given Sunday thing, um, you know, I'm a huge proponent of that. Unfortunately, I have witnessed that myself a few <laughs> times. Um, but it's just, you know, like this year, we're playing the AFC North as a division. That's who we're playing right. this year. And the Bears are currently on a streak of two consecutive sweeps of the AFC North. There's some any given Sunday wins in that batch of eight games yeah. there. You know, preferably both wins over the Steelers in 2013 and 2017. Like, we weren't supposed to beat the Steelers when they came to Soldier Field week number three, and we took them to overtime and, and, and beat them in Chicago. And um, uh, the same thing with the Ravens and stuff. I mean, as <laughs> 2017 2017 yeah was Trubisky's rookie year John Fox's last season as head coach we were 5 and 11 that year 4 and 0 against the AFC North 1 and 11 against the entire NFC so <laughs> talk about any given Sunday if we play yep. the AFC North and we got a great chance of winning everybody else nah. no no <laughs> No, it was thanks to Eddie Jackson and his two defensive touchdowns against the Panthers. That's our one NFC win uh, that year. So <laughs> that's uh, that's how that fell. So, but the, you the know, league, the league works in mysterious ways. It does. It does. So you never know. And yeah. who knows what? I mean, just the same way, like we were shocked to find out the impact that Matt Nagy had on the team in 2018 uh, and things like that. It's like him and the culture that he, you know, got running in 2018 projected us or propelled us to 12 and four who knows the effect that Dan Campbell and his you know especially based on on what you guys had to deal with last year at Matt Patricia and you know his you know iron fist rule uh, of the team to have a guy like Dan Campbell could be enough of a breath of fresh air that these guys are out there just you know running around having fun playing football again you know enjoying it as a game instead of a business and it's all about wins and do your job and and all that kind of stuff who knows what that could add up to for the Lions this year? Yeah, I think, and, and yeah, I think that's really the source of optimism is the coaching staff, and not not just Dan Campbell. In fact, not really at all Dan Campbell. It's it's the staff that he amassed. It's a staff of, as I mentioned before, all those previous players. A guy like Aaron Glenn, who a lot of people are pegging as a as a future head coach, running the defense. A guy who won, you know, or made multiple Pro Bowls as a cornerback in this. Yeah, league. Mark Brunel is the first time NFL head coach now, but also a guy who was a pro bowler quarterback. Um, Deuce Staley, a guy who's being groomed now as a head coach, as the team's assistant head coach, um, a guy who didn't play that long ago. Like I, I remember Deuce Staley playing and uh, I, I consider myself a, a mildly young person still. Uh, <laughs> Antoine Randall L as the wide receivers coach. Like they've got a bunch of these guys who come with not only a good really playing pedigree, but a lot of those guys have good coaching pedigrees. Uh, Aubrey Pleasant, the, the secondaries coach, really did a good job in Los Angeles with their young secondary. J- Jalen Ramsey, a guy whose respect is extremely hard to get, whether you're a player or a coach, talks 
extremely well of, of Aubrey Pleasant. So I, I think a lot of people are expecting not only because they're they're high on these coaches, but because they were so low on the other coaches. You know, a guy like Jeff Okuda, who came in with, with very high expectations, just bombs his rookie season. Yeah. And you're wonder you're scratching your head how that could possibly happen. Well, coaching matters. It does. And the Lions didn't have a very good coach. And now they theoretically do. So I think if there's one source of optimism that Lions fans have, it's that a bunch of their underperforming young players, especially in that secondary, they get it all turned around under a good coaching staff. And and Lions fans do believe right now that they do have a very good coaching staff and and hope that that just kind of transforms a lot of players that that are underperforming. Um, And if that happens, I I don't I don't think that gets them to the playoffs, but it, it makes them certainly contenders. Uh, every week of the season and, and sure. Lions fans will take that and you're one of a rebuild. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always the old adage of addition by subtraction yeah. uh, too. So no Matt Patricia means that, uh, you know, things are, are gotten or, you know, or things could go better just because he's not here uh, yeah. anymore, regardless of who they bring in. He's not so hip, hip hooray <laughs> for that. Cause it was certainly, it was certainly getting ugly out there from, from what I talk, learned from you talking to you because yep. you know, you have the, um, uh, you know, the privilege of being, you know, uh, somebody who gets to go to the facility and meet the players and uh, and talk to them and things like that. And you go to the press conferences, which is probably more Zoom thing last year. But but even still, you have more access than the average fan uh, does. So you get to see up close and personal what that, what a, what an effect that that could have uh, on the team. And, you know, you were, you were telling me how, you know, the, the culture out there is like it's just a mess. These yeah. guys are not happy. He's run guys out of town that should have yeah. been lifelong Lions. Now they're off playing in other teams. Thrilled to be anywhere but Detroit because that's where Matt Patricia is. I don't yeah. want to be where that guy's at anymore. Just trade me to anywhere. I don't care. And, right. you know, you ran off Condre Diggs and, and other in um, the corner. Slay. There you go. Darius Slay. That's the other guy I was thinking about. But he, he ran them all out of town. They couldn't wait to get away from him. Yeah. You know, even though uh, Darius Slay had a you know not so good year in Philadelphia, but uh, you know he wasn't in Detroit anymore, so he probably slept pretty good at night. Yeah, no question. And and it's interesting. Back in the days when we were in the locker room, you'd get towards the end of the season, and you know you'd kind of saddle up to a guy and and kind of have an off the you know off off record conversation, and be like, so you know you thinking about coming back next year? Like, Hell no! Hell no! <laughs> I'm out of here as soon as week 17 is over. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I won't name names, but like that, that wasn't just like a one player thing sure. like there. There were guys that knew they were done in Detroit by, you know, the bye week or so. Yeah. Never mind that, you know, we're going to be three and 13 or four and 12 or whatever. It's like, I just got to get away from this guy. I can't play yeah. for him anymore. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, some fans don't realize how much of an impact that can have on a team, on, on the culture, on, on just the vibe of a football team. If you can't stand the guy that you're playing for, what are you playing for? Right. You know, it's like you're out there because you're obligated to, you signed a contract that said you'd do it. Other than that, you wouldn't be there. You know, if they paid you, you know, right. it's like it just wouldn't, it's like, I'm not doing this. I can't, I'm only and, doing and those, it because I'm legally guys, obligated to those guys talk to other players, right? So, yeah. you know, if, if the Lions are trying to sign the guy and Matt Patricia's here and they talk to their buddy who played for Matt Patricia, and he's like, stay the hell away. Well, then now you've screwed the team in, in other ways that of players that were never on the lines, but potentially could have been right. Yeah. So, 
Oh, man. So anyway, Jeremy, I, I appreciate you coming back on. It's always a blast to have you uh, on the show. We got you early on uh, this year. And, um, you know, make sure that uh, DeAndre Swift is uh, working with the, uh, with the hands team. Uh, I okay. guess I just had yeah. to do it the yeah. one time. Yeah, yeah I don't have many. End. I don't throw many digs at you, man. <laughs> you got you should have won both games last year, but thanks to the rookie, we at least got the first one. So, you know, that's uh, you should have swept us last year. I, I was just looking at, like I said, when I was looking at the 2020 schedule, one in five in the NFC North, and it was that crappy ass win at the uh, you know the second one in Chicago, the one that nearly drove me to an early grave. Uh, I was so stressed out after that game, but uh, I mean, you know, if we're if we're being honest, we probably should have won that first game. You guys probably should have won the one in in Chicago. True, true. Yeah, that's fair. So it, it, it absolutely, all, you fair. know, it all evened out at the end. Yeah, but uh, yeah, neither one of them went the way they were supposed to uh, right. in in the, in our respective uh, matchups. So. Hopefully we'll get a little bit more clarity with our wins and losses uh, this year. Be like, yep, the Bears were the better team this week. The Lions were the better team on Thanksgiving. It was clear, you know, not like it's not. It's because those are the wins that sting no matter what. what? You know, it's like how much do you does it suck that that Swift dropped the ball in the end zone, wide open? He drops the ball. You win the game, no question whatsoever. He wins the. You guys win the game. You start off 2020 with a win over the Bears, and, you know, there it is. Even after, you know, Trubisky's brilliance in the fourth quarter and three touchdowns and we have the lead now, nope, DeAndre Swift, boom, touchdown, suck on that Chicago. <laughs> so, you know, but the kid drops the ball, and instead it's a week one, the Bears steal one, uh, you know, yeah. from you guys and, and things like that. So it's just see if we can get someone where we, we win games outright and there's really no question, like, yep, it was just their day kind of thing so yeah but that'll be week number four first weekend in october we look forward to having you on then and uh where can we keep up with you in the meantime man yeah just everything pride of detroit whether you want to watch our podcast youtube twitch the site pride of detroit.com pride of detroit on twitter instagram all that sort of stuff or if you want my ramblings about lions tv food all that sort of weird stuff mixed in uh you can follow me at detroit on lion all one word on uh on twitter yeah, always pretty good for some random tweet. Be like, where did that come from? Whatever. Oh, yeah. It just rolls up on my feed. Be like, yeah, <laughs> a hot dog is not a sandwich. Like, what? Okay. Oh, no, it is. It, it is. is. Oh, the, so the record, you're one of those is. guys. Okay. So you're one yeah, of those. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm from Chicago. So, uh, you know, we, you know how we feel about our hot dogs and our pizza. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's them, them's fighting words in Chicago, bro. That's not a, <laughs> not a goddamn sandwich. Watch your mouth. So. <laughs> Jeremy Reisman, everybody. We'll see you back in, uh, we'll be seeing before week number four, man. Sounds good, Larry. As always, I want to thank my guest, Jeremy Reisman from SB Nation's Pride of Detroit. Like I said before, uh, one of my favorite guests, one of my favorite people to have on the show year in and year out, despite his crooked allegiance to the Motor City Kitties. But uh, always love having him on the show. Looking forward to talking to him uh, once again. I believe week four was what we said the first matchup uh, was. And, uh, you know, always a good time uh, having him uh, on the show. And uh, 
That's pretty much all I got, guys. I'm not going to drag this one out. One down, three more to go. Up next on Thursday, Chris Gates from SB Nation's Daily Norseman to help us preview the Minnesota Vikings. And then we'll wrap up with Evan Western from Acme Packing Company, also from SB Nation, to close the book on the NFC North. And then the grand finale of them all, Lauren Cox from Locked On Bears to help us preview our beloved Chicago Bears for 2021 and what we have to look forward to, if anything, uh, for our beloved Uh, in this upcoming season. So come on back Thursday for myself and Chris Gates to preview the Vikings. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.